I just want to make a jump to 15, first 15, 15 C, CD, 15 CD. Because that's when uh, Shantideva uh, starts the discussion with his uh, Shittamatri. Yeah? So, so far, yes, after um, describing the two truths in the second verse, he starts to discuss with the realists. And, and now, with verse 15, he, he uh, turns to the Shittamatri. And I just want to say something about that and then leave a bit more time if there's some question left. So, that's what the Shittamatrin says. If that which is deceived does not exist, what is it, you ask, that sees illusion? No, it's... it's yeah. So, Shantideva says, so, you ask if that which is deceived does not exist, what is it, you ask, that sees illusion? So, that would be the Shittamatrin asking the Madhyamika. So, something like, okay, that which you perceive that is not findable, but... What is it? What is that which, which is, what is that which sees that? What is aware? So yes, we see that this is an illusion. It's unfindable. So the Shittamatrin would agree with that. It's it's made up. But definitely, I'm aware of. Well, I'm awareness is there which is aware that that is illusion. So they ask the Madhyamika, so what is that? And the answer of the Shittamatrin is, that's consciousness, and consciousness is real. Consciousness exists. And the Madhyamika says, okay, let's look for consciousness. Let's find it. Let's find the essence of consciousness. And so they go through their reasonings and they go through their investigation and they realize also consciousness is empty. It's unfindable. So the Shittamatrin, they, um, they are in one way well, they are coming closer to the Madhyamika view, so they have given up uh, materialism. But they, from the Madhyamika point of view, they have not negated enough. They cling to a consciousness as being real, consciousness as being that which is findable, consciousness which is from the from the from the Shittamat, that's why they are called mind-only, mind-only school. So for, for, uh, uh, for uh, Shittamatrin, this is all consciousness. It's all happening in consciousness. And, and that stuff from which everything is made, 
is real. It's findable. It's like a primordial substance. The, the Madhyamika, they disagree with that. Well, they disagree. They, they, they prove that also consciousness is empty, unfindable, as having some essence. So you, so you think it's possible that consciousness exists, but you can't find it. It's some, somewhere hidden. Yeah. Well, you can in consciousness see what it is because you're in, or like, you can't look at. Mm. You look at itself. No, it can't look at itself, right? In some way. Uh, so. If I now ask you, no, you have an experience right now. Yeah, right. Something is happening. You hear some sounds. What is aware? What is that? What happens when I ask the question? You get confused. That's a good thing. Yeah. So. If you don't get confused anymore in that question, <laughs> it takes some time, yeah? Because initially you don't know how to look and where to look. But uh, if you get a bit more experience there, you will realize that you can turn attention back to itself, to, to that which is aware. It's a very, uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a kind of experience. It's a kind of uh, insight practice which is repeated again and again by people. It's not something unusual. And once you get the knack of it, you know how to turn your attention into towards that which is aware. So now, Shitamatrin would say. That which you then see, that's real. That's really something existing out of itself. Yeah? And, and the, 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 the Madhyamika doing that would then investigate with his understanding of emptiness into that which is called awareness. And uh, it, yeah, and and would not find something there. Does that clarify your? Yeah, yeah at least something. Find the looking. Find the searching. Sorry. Look for something. Look for something. Yeah. What you find is this is the looking for it. If you're looking for something, you don't find it, but you find the looking for it. 
Yes, but that looking for it is empty. So, and the Shittamatrins would say that which is looking is uh, something real. It's something that exists. It, it, it's like it, it's something is something more than merely labeled. Something more. Yeah, it's something, it's like a primordial substance. Something which waits there, which waits there to be discovered. Something which you, no, it's something real. Now what is real? <laughs> real means, uh, real means something which you can find just be sitting there. It's real means it exists out of itself. Like the realists say, this is real because it is there and it's still there when I don't look and it's self-powered and it's waiting there in this room to be discovered by me. And it's objective. It is a ball, it was a ball, and it's a ball for everyone. And then you look, yeah, there it is. That's real. So the same kind of uh, realness the Sitamatrin attribute to consciousness. But people have different opinions about consciousness also. Ideas, what it is. Yeah, but now, yes, you have different ideas about it, about it. So that it, you know, you, of course, you can have different ideas about it. But what is it? Yeah, we, we don't know. The Shittamatrin says it is consciousness, and it's findable. The Madhyamika says, if you look for it, you can't find it. It's made up, like everything else. It's empty. Can you say it in another word? We can also say that uh, consciousness is empty because it exists only when there is something to be conscious of. That's one of the reasons. Yeah? Yes. And, yeah, yes. Because if there is nothing to be conscious of, that's completely empty. Yeah. Nothing yes. And the Sita Martin says no. No, uh, there is really. A, there's there really a conscious. There is no. conscious, conscious, yeah. because everything else is 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 not existing. It's illusion. Yeah. yeah? Uh, so, so yes. Yeah. That is a dependent origination, isn't it? Yeah, that's why it's empty. Uh, it's not so, me, it's Tishnatana, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It was very broad. Uh, if, to, for conscious to be, you, there must be something to be conscious of, otherwise. Yeah. Now, there's a, and you can do that discussion with yourself, with the book, with the help of the book, there is a, um, a discussion of can awareness be aware of itself? But then, even then, awareness has an object, itself. Mm -hmm. So it exists for itself. It is aware of itself. But I'm too tired to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was good.
So any other question? Yes. Did Buddha ever speak of streams of consciousness? I don't know if if he uh, if that image comes from him. He is definitely talking about past and future lives. Uh, and in the Mahayana Sutras, they talk. It's being talked about like the stream of consciousness. But now, if you look into the Pali Canon, anyway, as a Tibetan practitioner, I'm not so familiar with the Pali Canon. They don't read the Pali Canon. They don't have translated it. So, so I don't know. Would be interesting. It, sometimes it's surprising for me uh, how much, for example, in Shantideva's text comes directly from the Pali Canon because he had has read it. I mean, it's an Indian scripture, so that's how they studied the teachings of the Buddha. So, so, so some kind of metaphors on ways to put and so on and so on, where I would feel, oh, that's probably from Shantideva. It's actually from the original canon of the of the, you know, of the sutras. So, but I don't know. Why do you ask? Well, I think it was like this, that nothing was written down until about 200 mm. years after his passing. No. Mm. It, was, it's, it was an oral tradition. And it's of course there's many mistakes and flaws in it. In in the even in the what you what someone people some people would call the real teachings of the Buddha. Yeah? So even they they are not real <laughs> in that sense. Nobody was sitting there taking notes when the Buddha was teaching. Yeah? But then the the people who believe that these are kind of the closest thing we have of the words of the Buddha, they, they many of them would say, but the Mayana uh, teachings, they are completely made up by other people. They don't have anything to do with the Buddha. His Holiness discusses this question a bit in, in the transcend, in, in that book, what, what you have there, Practicing Wisdom, that kind of discussion around the validity of the Mahayana scriptures. It's quite interesting for us, if you are staying in the Tibetan tradition, you, you might not get into this kind of discussion, but as soon as you leave the Tibetan tradition, you will find that. So it's good to get ready for some combat. <laughs> How do you want to uh, uh, defend the Mahayana scriptures as valid? Good to have some some ammunition in your pocket, otherwise they wipe you out. But what about uh, this reincarnation with the teachers, uh, like pointing out this is the reincarnation of this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it mm. sounds contradictory to know that. Uh, no, it's the same. We are all reincarnation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's the same, and so you can you can somehow identify certain uh, streams of consciousness. Uh, so, of course, you know, a stream of consciousness is not like a river. It would be difficult to find. A, it's impossible to find a 
as like a boundary between my, your stream of consciousness and I mean this stream of consciousness and this stream of consciousness. Yeah, so it's difficult. But somehow, somehow there is you no. Know, the, I mean, there is a level where we are very deeply connected, where we don't find the boundaries between us. But there's also some differences. It's a bit like uh, two waves in the same ocean. So two waves in the same ocean, they are different and they are the same at the same time. So And, uh, and somehow the Tibetans figured out a system uh, to identify this stream of consciousness, these different waves. Yeah? So, and say, okay, that wave in in his previous in her previous life she she was that po- that person. But of course, it's not the same person. Mm-hmm. No, the the the, per- the 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 actually the person can be from the personality, the habits can be very very different from 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 how that stream of consciousness manifested in the last life. And then, of course, this, this, uh, this Tibetan system is completely corrupt. I mean, most of the kind of Rinpoche, they are just appointed because you know, they are looking for someone holding the seat and being trained in their system and taking care that the lineage is, uh, is preserved. And uh, and then also, you know, what's with all the money and the political power? So families, of course, they want their children to, you know, to, to get into these seats. Yeah. So, but but still, it works in the sense that you you uh, you you appoint a person uh, like a child, which is born with certain qualities and with certain omens around it and certain dreams and and then you train this child in a certain way they get a very special uh, uh, training and treatment so there's many tibetan teachers that say that you know, uh, that it's there are kind of genuine uh, and rightly appointed uh, tulkus or rinpoches but there's also many who just someone with special qualities. I, I also think that I mean the, the man's uh, body of knowledge about how to die. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess like uh, uh, people that have trained from in the tradition and have, have learned all this, I, yeah. it, it's just a guess that the stream of consciousness uh, moves uh, to the next leaf. Life maybe in a quite different way than if the if uh, the the mind in, in this life is not trained. Absolutely, mm. yes, mm. sure. Mm. I mean that it's obvious that now if you if you meet those uh, masters who carry the name Rinpoche, I have not met anyone who is not a very special person. Mm. Not anyone. And it's and that can't be just the special training they got in this life. It's not just. It's not just this training. It's not. You can't just say yes. If any random child would get that kind of attention and that kind of love and that kind of training, they would turn into that. I don't believe that. 
they are too uh, far out, mm. these Rinpoches, at least the ones I met. Mm. But still, I think I've, heard, I've read even His Holiness saying that, but I'm not 100% sure. But someone I trust, that, that's I remember, said, said that uh, many of those reincarnations, they are just taking that seat that place. They are appointed by their students and by the monastery. and But they are qualified. They bring something into that. And they are chosen out of that reason. Who are led through dreams and oracles and uh, to, to, to pick that child. So, anything else? Yeah, I had a question yeah. about uh, some things we talked about before about mm -hmm. the validity of the Mahayana. Mm -hmm. uh, I read in a book about Mahayana mm -hmm. and Buddhism that uh, uh, the Hinayana is encompassed by the Mahayana structure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it transcends it. Uh, but there are texts that are not valid in in the Hinayana structure. That's that's completely true. I mean, yeah. the tantric, uh, the tantra, like in Tibetan Buddhism, is tantra, rests on and respects and studies the Hinayana and the Mahayana. Mm. And but Hinayana, no Hinayana practitioner would respect the Mahayana. As the valid teachings of the Buddha. No, Hinayana. Okay. No. But I mean, nowadays there's a lot of people who, you know, uh, are inspired by both, and mm. you know, so. But like, uh, if you would go to Burma or Thailand or uh, Sri Lanka, and you would go into the monastery, mm. and you would ask any monk there, and you would ask, yeah, what's the, with the Mahayana teachings? They would say. This is made up by other people. Mm. It's not. It's not the teachings of the Buddha. Mm. And this is. His Holiness has a good, uh, a good little discussion uh, about this. Mm. Uh, and one thing he says. You know, I was always puzzled about that. You know, if you get um, teachings from some of the geishas, the Guluk geishas, they really insist that the Tantra teachings and the Mahayana teachings are from the Buddha. It seemed to be somehow very important for them. And I, 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 don't, I really don't get that so much. Why is it so important that the emptiness teachings are spoken by the Buddha on Walsh's Peak? Uh, to, you know, to, uh, and in the same time, he was giving some Tantric teachings in some kind of magic, magic, mystical place, in the same time. So why is it so important for them? I was all, I, 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 you know, why? And, um, and His Holiness uh, says uh, in, 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 in this book there that uh, it's actually not so important. No. <laughs> and he, he says that there is something like, he calls it mystic teachings. Mm mystic teachings which transcend space and time. Like uh, perennial philosophy or something yeah, like yes, that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And 
and he suggests like maybe it's not, not that important to insist and to, to look like historically the paper on which the first Mayana teachings are written, they are from the sixth century. So or in the Mayana sutras, there are places mentioned, cities, which didn't exist at the time of the Buddha. So that would be for a Western scholar, would be a way to prove uh, that the sutra can't be from the time of the Buddha because the cities in the sutra where the Buddha meets and teaches, they didn't exist at that time. They were founded later. So they take this as a proof that this is not the teachings of the Buddha. Yeah. But, but His Holiness says, and I've heard that, of course, from other, but more, more Western teachers teach like that, says, yeah, of course, he, he also he, he says they are teachings from the Buddha, but he makes this window open and he talks about mystical experiences which surface um, in, the, in the minds of realized beings. And they write them down. And because at that time when they write them down and they surface, uh, there's a certain city which was not at the time of Buddha and they don't know. So they write the story down, the myth down. And, and there, suddenly there's a city in the sutra which didn't exist back then. But in one sense, you could say, it's still a teaching of the Buddha. Yeah. Because the, what's the Buddha? The Buddha is not that, that person in flesh and blood. You know, that's, that's not the Buddha. That was Siddhartha or whatever he was called. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same is true for the tantric teaching. And that's more obvious because... Uh, no, they have the, for example, these, uh, they call it termas, which are like text hidden in a different dimension, a bit like the Akasha records. Yeah? And, and then, so, and there's, nowadays, there are curtains, they are called. These are, these are uh, practitioners, men and women, who have this capacity to discover these texts. Yeah? And these are always texts connected with tantric teachings. But still, some, uh, some, some Gelukgeshes would, would really insist on that all the teachings of Tantra are coming from the historical Buddha. And the way they would say is, uh, it was given in a, in, in a kind of magic place, uh, to certain kinds of people, to a very small, small, small group of people. So while he was sitting somewhere and you know, giving either uh, Hinayana teachings or Mayana teachings, at the same time his mystical body would travel to that dimension and give teachings to a very small group of people. So that's how they explain it. But the first tantric texts we know about, I, I don't know when they surfaced. I, I mean, hundreds and hundreds year, years later than the Buddha mm -hmm. lived, the historical Buddha. Mm -hmm. So, but discuss this with a Hinayana practitioner. It's like mystical places. Yeah. I mean, they believe in a world of atoms, so other dimensions? 
it's, it's just and and obviously a lot of uh, uh, some of the tantric teachings and also of the Mahayana teachings they contradict the Hinayana teachings they say something different for example in the Hinayana Hinayana, Hinayana teachings you the, the 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 goal is to become an art to self liberate you can't they don't have even the idea they don't have a path to become a buddha So and, and the Mahayana says no. We all have the potential to become fully enlightened Buddhas. So that's a clear contradiction. And then all the practices are different. And you know, Bodhicitta, the emptiness teachings are different. Then when you go into Tantra, then you are like really in a different kind of almost like a different religion. Det här Sweden Assel och Shamanic Sandinsvist. That's the, that's the, uh, uh, the, so when Tibet, when Indian Buddhism came to Tibet, it mixed with the shamanistic yeah. tradition. Yeah. So the shamanistic yeah. aspects of Tibetan Buddhism yeah. is not uh, Tantra. It's, it's coming from, uh, from, uh, from the Bön tradition, from the shamanistic uh, tradition in, in Tibet. Mm. Uh, they integrate. And Buddhism did that always. It, it integrated the, the deities and, the, and the, uh, the customs and the rituals and the outer forms from the culture in which it was uh, brought. So... This will also happen with us. I mean, at one point we have to give up this stuff. We have to come up with our own. And it will happen. I'm sorry for thinking it would have been so beautiful if Christianity would have, uh, would have married with uh, the song up in, up in North. Uh, it's yeah. always been shamanic. Uh, uh, yes. It could have happened, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it, that doesn't that happen uh, somewhere, like in South America, a bit of marriage between shamanism and Christianity? I think so. Yeah. Okay, blah. But blah is now is good. I'm, uh, I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, I think we can stop. Can you explain no. in what way a Buddha statue uh, placed at somewhere could affect, like you were talking about, the people who did not get food? I have my idea, but I want to hear your... Uh, so that depends on the... So you, you, create, you create the positive energy through the way you relate. So that kind of gratitude and inspiration and uh, joy and uh, celebration uh, so that creates uh, that's the positive karma yeah? so you know, I, I think some of you know this story uh, it's in the Lamrim about the dog's teeth mm. yeah? so there's this um, the dog's tooth yeah 
So there is this this, uh, this young man, and he has a mother, and she is a very devout devote practitioner, and he d- makes a pilgrimage to Lhasa, and uh, and the mother says, "Please, you have to bring me a tooth of the Buddha, that a tooth, that would be the most precious thing for me," and. It's a bit longer story. I make it very short because I want to finish. So he goes off, makes three months uh, pilgrimage to Lhasa. On the way back, just you know, an hour before he comes to his mother, he says, "Oh, I forgot! I forgot the tooth of the Buddha." <laughs> and then he sees a, a carcass, like a dead dog, by this by the side of the road. And he pulls out a tooth of that dog and wraps it into a cutter and, pu- and puts it into the po- into his pocket. And then, the when he comes to his mother, he says, "I brought you a tooth of the Buddha." And the mother does her thing with the tooth of the Buddha, puts it on the altar, makes prostration, prays, uh, offerings. And she becomes so happy, and uh, her devotion, and she becomes radiant. And then suddenly, miracle starts to appear, and you know the the tooth uh, omits. Uh, how they, how are they called? Rixel, yeah, Rixel, which is like you no know, uh, uh, relics when they are treated in this way. They kind of they multiplied. And they, they, uh, oh, they, they. You know, something comes out, like you know, they, they, like little pearls, or you know, something like that. It, it really happens. I saw it myself. <laughs> yeah. It happened with the with the relics of Lama Konchok. Yeah. They multiply. So that happened. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, this story is is kind of a, a story about that the power of the object is not in the object because the object is empty. The power of the object comes through the person who relates to the object and how that person relates to the object. And this woman was one hundred percent convinced that this was the tooth of the Buddha. So it so she had no doubt and she had a big devotion to that. So it's not the statue. Of course when he when a statue like this becomes powerful for us because we have seen it before and we connected with you know maybe so we have connections, we have associations. And also the forms, they are like um, they are particular, and, and the way it's structured, they are, they they speak to us somehow. Yeah, not necessarily, but uh, somehow. Uh, but we could also, I mean, no, it's like with this bow, you know, like when I told you this is a sacred head, and I would brainwash you into that, then then you you would start to. Oh, this is pen this hat. Let's make some. 
<laughs> make some offerings to it. Yeah, so then <laughs> don't touch Bender's head. You get you go to hell when you go <laughs> so, uh, then then this becomes a source for happiness for you. Or I mean if you do it in a in a uh, kind of guilt, fearful way, then they're not. Yeah, but if it becomes so, you can make this into a source of imp inspiration through the way you relate to it. So it's really an emptiness teaching. This uh, tooth dog uh, um, story. Placebo. Kind of placebo. Yes. Yeah. In placebo, what is interesting, it it works even if you know it's a placebo. That's yeah. I mean, that's 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 amazing, yeah. It's strange, strange things, a placebo effect. Okay.